I don't know. I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 297. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Charles Feather. Hello, hello. And this episode is brought to you by Heinz Green Ketchup. That's right. Relive the 90s with Heinz Green Ketchup. Oh, that stuff was so not appetizing. Oh, no, it's absolutely <laughs> terrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a flashback. Or, or yeah. we could have done New Coke. Not like the old Coke, New but Coke. New Coke. Or Pepsi Clear. Pepsi Clear. Yeah, that stuff was bad, too. This episode brought to you by Keurig Coffee Pods. As you can see, gentle listener, we're or here. Uh, we're, we're having a little bit of a technical difficulty today. We're trying to figure out what to talk about. And that means that we're talking about a bunch of different topics. Yeah. This episode in the show notes is called... 297 random nonsense i'm rather so, proud of that i am yeah i am. You thought you were gonna learn something if you do it's purely accidental <laughs> this is an episode where we have four small topics that are not worth a full episode so we're going to hit on a few seemingly random things there is no common thread that ties them all together this is just quite literally things that Charles wanted to talk about, things that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, and and when you brought up the topic, I, I thought that we were talking about bringing back, you know, different things to talk about at the beginning of a show, like a, like a little a little intro and then and then like a news item and then something else and then I realized, "Oh wait, no, you're talking about doing it all as different topics." And I thought that was a really good idea um uh, because there've been some things that have been rattling around in my head. I know that there've been some things that have been rattling around in your head and it just makes sense to throw it all into um, not necessarily a, a trash can episode because that's the worst way to refer to something like this, but it's it's fun to get all of these different things out and into the open and talk about them a little bit. We will deposit it in the circular filing cabinet. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so we can go ahead and begin. The first topic that we're going to talk about is called drafts. So occasionally online or on discord you're going to see a judge asking questions about how to do a call draft they'll say something like hey the players at my rcq want to get that pro tour experience or they want to practice and they want to see what it's like to actually do a call draft so how do i do that have you seen these requests charles um yes and and i've had experience with that as well so it does happen um a lot of judges will tell you, well, my store is more competitive, um, or, or like you said, my my players want that experience. So yeah, it it happens. It's it doesn't happen as frequently as I think some people are afraid of, but I think it happens more frequently than people believe. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And so what a call draft is? So call drafts are typically used at very large, prestigious events like pro tours. So there is like an air of mysteriousness and specialness about them as as a result. Like it's a thing that since you only do it the pro tours, this must be the thing that the pros do. And this must be better because it's the thing that the pros do. All right. right. So 
let's let's talk a little bit about how this is mechanically different from zone drafting, which is what most people are presumably familiar with. So, Charles, what's what's zone drafting? Oh, zone drafting is when players are passing cards to either the left or the right. They only pa- pass one pack of cards until the next pack is picked up. Uh, essentially, I tell players, no choo-choo trains. There's a zone to your left, a zone to your right, and a zone in your hand. And if you take the cards in your hand and you go to put them to the zone to the right, and there's already a pack there, then the cards have to stay in your hand yep. until the player to your uh, right picks up those cards, and then you can put those down. And please be very, please be very careful. Leave them in your hand. Don't set them down on the table where you can accidentally right. pick up, you know, the other pile <laughs> that you've been drafting yeah. and pass those along. Yeah, keep them in your hand. So that's that's zone drafting. And what called drafts are is we're using the time limit in the M- specified in the MTR for making decisions. So it's with a 15 card pack, you have 40 seconds to make the decision. And you pass the cards at the end of that 40 seconds. And then you you get to pick up the, the 14 cards that were passed to you. You have 40 seconds. At the end of that 40 seconds, you pass. So the called draft is there is a time limit to make your decision. You do not pass early. You pass when time is called. And the time limit gets progressively shorter and shorter. It goes from 40, 40, 35, 30, 25, 25, all the way down to like five seconds with uh with three cards and two cards left it, what okay. it absolutely makes you do or it absolutely makes your players be 100 percent sure what the cards are in the packs because or, or what what what's on the cards um because 40 seconds when you're looking at a whole pack and you open them up and these cards these days have nine lines of text on them you're not sitting there and reading those nine cards because you get through two and a half of them and you have to make your pick i mean re- realistically though for for pros that have practiced draft formats, they're familiar with the good rares. They're familiar with the good commons. Right, like, right, right. They're they're doing that kind of thing. So forty seconds tends to be a lot longer than is needed for um, pros I mean, and for, for player and for grinders who are familiar with all the different cards in the in the set. But even even on even on like yeah for pre release weekend yeah it, it it doesn't you need more time. Yep. So. And you have a stopwatch or a script. There is, I'll shout out to MTG Guide for the iOS, is an app. It actually has a called draft script embedded in the tool. And I think a few tools on the Android do as well, where you will actually, it'll do the timer. It'll tell you what to say based on what they do at, you know, they used to do at, uh, you know, sealed GPs on day two, that kind of thing. So. There is a script to go on. You are there with a stopwatch timer, that kind of thing. Now, why is zone drafting, which is probably what most people are used to, why is that not a thing that we do at these super large events? I think one of the reasons is you want to keep everybody on the same clock. You want to, you want you want the draft to begin and end at the same time. You have a bunch of different pods, you know, 10, 15, 20 different pods all going at the same time. You need them to all finish at the same time. You need them to all build at the same time so that you can start the round, you know, round one all at the same time. So you need to keep everybody in lockstep. And zone drafting is kind of, you know, independent to the pod. And you can't have them, you know, all these all these different times running around. 
I think there's also an implied parody as well. If everybody starts and begins at the end and they all have the same amount of time to examine packs, then yep. it removes some of the looseness that can happen with zone drafting where one pod may take longer and and, and make uh, better decisions because they have a little bit more time to to think about something. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's not necessarily designed only for that reason, but I, I think it helps with that. Now, at your local game store, when play when when judges say I want to do this because I want the the pro tour experience. So first off, the two big reasons for doing a called draft need to coordinate multiple pods and make sure that they are all done and ready to start the next thing at the same time. And B, you want to make sure that certain pods don't have more time than other pods. When you only have a top eight and an RCQ, those reasons don't exist at the local game store. So you're adding all the the cons for because there we'll talk about those in just a second. You're adding all the cons for a called draft and not getting any of the pros. Yeah. Okay. And called drafts, they actually typically take longer than zone drafting. Okay. When you're doing a called draft, it takes the entire focus of the draft caller because you are watching the clock. You are not watching the players to see if anybody's cheating. So you need a second judge. Okay, so you need another body. Putting a time limit on things sucks. It's funny, but if you give a play, if a player sits down to zone draft, they might take 30 seconds to make a decision. But if you tell them they have 40 seconds to make a decision, they're going to stress and they might go over or try to go over because, oh no, I'm, I'm on a time limit. And we all know how much magic players and judges like to talk about how being stressed about anything affects their their decision making abilities. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> slow play anybody? Yeah. And which is not the case here, but yes. Yeah. And this isn't a skill that you need to learn, okay? Where you say like I want to learn how to do a called draft. If you are a judge at the RCQ level, you are a ways away from being asked to do a called draft at a large event Uh, the people that are asked to do that kind of thing are either l3s or very experienced level twos and there's only and it's only done four times a year basically so there's four opportunities so it's not something that you know um somebody working in in poughkeepsie um is going to necessarily be called up to do that yeah yeah and more than your draft calling skills i would probably say your mic skills are more important, like how well you can enunciate and how well you can speak, like your speaking voice, you know, those things, those things factor in. So yeah, so that is called drafts. It's, it's basically, if your players are saying, if you're coming in and saying, my players want to do a called draft, you are overvaluing the opinion of the two people that actually said they want to do a called draft. That is not your players. It is two players and they can get over it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I I almost feel like I sigh a lot when I talk about this because I've I've heard about this so many different times in so many different ways. Um, the the problem is is that I think people want to appease other people or or they want to build on excitement. Maybe maybe that's more it. Um, and they and they see these players as being really excited about the concept. But I, if I'm not mistaken, I think there was even a philosophy statement that came out pre-COVID, along the lines of, please stop doing call drafts at whatever the PTQ, PBTQ event was at the store level, um, maybe two or three years before COVID ended. 
it's important that we understand that philosophically speaking, they're not necessary. That's called drafts. Yep. Okay. So I did a little bit of thinking about this and All right. A little bit of soul searching. A little actually, yes. Looking deep inside <laughs> yourself. I I did. I did because this is from something that I did a long time ago. Uh and recently I've seen a couple of different instances where it's happened. I think it's important that we um understand it. And it's not it's not a policy thing. It's not a rules thing. It's a judge behavior thing. Um Ooh. And it's answering judge questions outside of an event. And and what I mean by that is, is we take calls on the floor all the time, sure. But uh, community members and locals and friends and, and, and even, you know, that guy, you know, Steve, that you don't really like, but knows you and has your number. These people all uh, will ask you questions outside of events about rules, you know, through Twitter, through Facebook. Now, can, um, I, can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah, yeah. Are are you talking about um, a situation where I, as a player, ask you, Charles Featherer, a rules question, or I, as a player, post a question to a super public forum where there are 40, 50 judges in that forum? Like the, the Facebook group. Uh, Both. Ask a judge. Both. Both. Okay. All of okay. the above. All of the okay. above. Every situation where you're not on the floor, where you're actually being asked a question, or where there's a question in general floating in the ether, and you've seen it, and you want to reach out and grab it and answer it. Um, all of the situations when you're not being compensated, when you're not on the floor, when you don't have three other judges within um, your line of sight that you can grab and pull into your question when you have a problem. This is what I'm talking about. Okay. All right. So there are some things that we need to consider when we jump in feet first into these questions. Um, is this actually an active situation? Because, hey, we've all gotten that call at three o'clock in the afternoon when we're out golfing or doing whatever. And it's from a, a, a local play group and they've got this question and they need it answered right now. Okay. Um, I, I do want to make a distinction. Yeah. Real quick with active situation. There is an active in event situation like in a tournament and then there is we're just playing at the local store and we want an answer now kind of thing because the the answer to if someone is texting you if you're on the golf course and someone is texting you with a live situation from a tournament the answer is, is why are you texting me go talk to your head judge sure <laughs> right yeah yeah okay okay um um, but also uh, other considerations with these questions, these types of questions, um, other than if it's an active situation, um, is, is this a, is this one of those rules corner case type deals? Is this, is this something that's getting into the nitty gritty of how that brand new card works with some card, uh, made an onslaught that nobody remembers, but somebody has figured out there's got to be a weird interaction here. Um, or is this some other situation that's already been decided, adjudicated, um, and and another judge has ruled on it, and and somebody's seeking a second or a third or a, so a this fifth is opinion? An after an after an event after an event of, situation. Hey, right. the judge told me X. I disagree. <laughs> yeah, is Which, this right? Hey, hey, that happens all the time, and sometimes it's one way, and sometimes it's the other. So oh, yeah. these these are things that you need to consider before you even before you even you know strap on your 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 uh, 
your well, whatever. Strap on your judge shirt and and wade strap into on the your whatever. Yeah, Whoa. strap on your judge shirt and well, you know, it, it sounded better in my head when I started it and I got halfway <laughs> through it and I was just I I didn't know what I was saying anymore. Um, so it the the main point here that I want people to try and extract from this and the thing that I really want to share about this is the the decisions that go into this and whether or not you're going to answer a question in a public forum or whether you're going to answer a question that's emailed to you or whatever is um, things don't change when you're not on an event floor. You still have the ability to take a moment, to take a breath and really answer the question correctly. And if you don't know the answer, you have the ability to call in for some help. You don't have to just jump right in get that instant gratification of getting the answer right, right away. Um, you're not on a clock in most cases and you can just take your time, right? Right. You're not on a clock. Most cases. How can I be the first to respond if I take my time? Yeah. And that's the problem is, is that the instant gratification world that we've created with the internet makes us think that we've got to be first all the time. Um, and that's not where we need to be. We, we can take a minute. We can we can look at the whole situation. We can wait for somebody else to answer if it's like on Twitter or somebody else, someplace else and and learn from learn from their take on it. You know, a, a, a fun a fun thing we used to do way back in the day when we on IRC, when we would uh, ask dagger, we shoot daggers at people. We'd have a room with like a bunch of L1s and we'd ask questions and there'd always be like a few L1s that would like jump on answers trying to answer to show how much they knew and showed how much they learned and when they stopped doing that because they started to realize that they didn't have to be first that was kind of a, an indication that they were starting to reach the maturity level where we could actually consider them for for l2 <laughs> yeah when when the desire like i don't have to prove that i know what i'm talking about by jumping in and answering first because I've already proved it. I already know what I'm talking about. I've already proved it to myself, so I don't got to. See, the whole this whole thing laughs because my own personal situation and what led me to actually talk about this was I did something, I think, right after I made L2, which is also that the other end of that little that little spectrum where um, suddenly I'm a little bit full of myself. Um, oh. And, and, and I waded into something, and I gave a wrong ruling on Twitter, and I, I cannot to this day remember what it was, but... Um, I, it was bad. It was bad. I was just so, so wrong. It was terrible. Um, I misremembered something or I was misunderstanding something. And this happens mm -hmm. to all of us. That's the, 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 you know, we make, we make mistakes on the floor. We're going to make mistakes. If we, you know, publicly do rulings, we're going to make mistakes online. And what we need to do is we need to take what we do when we're on the floor and apply it online as well. So how do we fix mistakes? Right. Um, the first step is admitting you made a mistake. Um, and maybe it requires you to pull back from the internet for five minutes, stop typing at people and sit there and think. Maybe it requires you to reach out to somebody who really, really knows rules or, or, or you trust to explain this interaction to you and tell you that you might be wrong and you'll accept it. Um, so we, so we, we admit that we've made a mistake. Um, and then after that, we try and curate the responses. And I don't mean just go and just wipe out everything you said that was wrong. Okay. Um, on Facebook and on Twitter, we can delete some things. I don't want you to go and delete everything. I don't want you to go in and do that because um, 
the internet never forgets. If you're really wrong and you're in a heated battle with somebody, believe me, somebody's taking screenshots already. So suck it up. <laughs> it's done. You've you've made the mistake. It's terrible. Um, and somebody's going to rub your face in it if you don't do the right thing. So the right thing here is to say, hey, look, uh, I just learned I made a mistake about this interaction. I'm very sorry about that. I'm going to go and clean up one or two responses so that people who are reading this um, don't get more confused. And this is what the actual solution is. And then you can actually, you know, get rid of a couple of the responses. Sometimes, sometimes it doesn't make sense to do that. If there's only two or three, just leave them all up there. But if there's a, if there's an exchange of 10 or 15, um, notes, um, I would, I would encourage you to consider getting rid of a couple of things that lead people down the wrong path and just get people mad. So you're, you're saying that even though the stakes might be lower in an online interaction, the stakes might be lower because it's not a it's not a live call. It's not a live like call. Someone's not necessarily going to win or lose the game on this, but you still have a responsibility to you know take a moment, make sure that you're putting putting truth out there, and if you said something incorrect, take the necessary steps to correct to to print the retraction. You know, oh, more brilliant. than just hiding hiding it on the on the bottom of page five. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Uh, because okay. what's going to happen is that somebody's going to come along, read half of what you wrote, and think that they're right when they go and give a bad ruling two days later. You know, you have to you have to clean it up so that you know they're not getting halfway through it and just you know going off the deep end, um, either in response to you or in taking the information you've given them and walking away with it and having bad information. Yeah, yep. that's See, I I thought you were actually going to go somewhere slightly different with this topic. Yeah, I thought you were going to go down the the route of if you are talking to someone and answering a question don't be a dismissive a-hole well that's just like sure where it's like oh everybody knows the answer to this or did you read the card you know sure. those those kind of things like no um, i I've, I've seen a few interactions recently that reminded me of the interaction that i had had not not that many years ago um where uh people dug in heels and it's okay to dig in your heels and it's okay to be um, excited about what you're talking about. But at the same time, if you've got two or three people that are telling you you're wrong, take a moment. I'm, go I'm not and even look talking it up. about, I'm not even talking about if, if you're wrong, I'm, I'm saying, you know, the right answer and you belittle the person asking the question because you feel oh, like the yeah. answer is no, 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 that, that's absolutely true too. Yeah. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> be, be kind. <laughs> right like like please please realize that when someone's asking a question online there's one of one of two reasons why they ask a question one is they genuinely want to know the answer to the question that they're asking and two is they think they found an exploit and even if it's like they and they doubt it it works but in the one percent chance that it does work they're hoping that they've got one over on Watsy or their their opponent or something like that. Yeah. So they're asking they're asking the stupid question and in reality it's they're 99% sure that it doesn't work but they're asking just in the in the, the hopes that they're wrong. Right. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the next one is I'm going to talk a little bit about uh giving feedback to someone and uh, how to give feedback 
more correctly than you might be doing. In the notes, I've, I say giving feedback is not feeding someone an S sandwich. That's the, that's the unofficial title for this. Okay. Um, so the judge program has been called a cult of self-improvement. I don't think that's true anymore. It has it, absolutely changed. I'm going to agree with you. Right. It's, it's it, still there, but it's not what it's, it was. It's not a cult. It's not a cult of self-improvement in the, in the sense that it, the judge program was built on specific, direct, actionable, actionable feedback. And what has happened is, is the judge program in general, okay, not you, dear listener, you're fine and perfect just the way you are. I'm talking about those other judges, not you. No, I'm, I'm actually, I'm talking about you too. Um, people say, judges say they want feedback. They do not want feedback. They want the positive fluff hey, you did good, you did a good job, you did great. They don't want the negative stuff. And if you do give the negative stuff, they've got all these defenses built up where they're going to start saying, oh, well, actually, no, that's not what happened. Or, or no, I did it because, and they'll, they'll rationalize and justify. So just be aware that when someone says, I want feedback, they generally mean, I want the good feedback, especially if they are an experienced judge. Brand new judges you know, yeah, give me feedback. Tell me what I'm doing wrong so that I can fix it. But there reaches a certain point where, you know, you feel that you you kind of know what you're doing and know what you're talking about. So if someone gives you non-positive feedback, you're like, what's this? But I'm not talking about receiving feedback. I'm talking about giving feedback, okay? Positive feedback is uncommon. And when I say positive feedback, I mean talking about the good things. It's uncommon. And when it does exist, it's very superfluous, okay? It's, it's Charles, you did a great job uh, uh, on that last topic. It was really fascinating. I learned a lot, okay? Super positive feedback. What'd you learn? But yeah, I just fed you like a whole bunch of candy. You got your little sugar rush, that kind of thing. What I can also say is, for another, for another feedback thing, is, Charles, I really appreciate how when we're talking about topics, you stay on task you keep me on task. You su- you're proactive in suggesting topics, okay, and a variety of topics, and you track down guests. And I really, really appreciate the amount of work that you take on behind the scenes that lessens the amount of work that I have to do. Oh, Brian, thank you. Okay, right, <laughs> but I, right, <laughs> right. Uh, what I, what I wanted to do is I just wanted to demonstrate the difference between fluffy positive feedback. An actual specific example positive feedback, right? Um, using real examples. So, and giving positive feedback that is more useful than you did, you done did good is difficult. Negative feedback is significantly easier and much more common. Okay, like Charles, you you say um a lot, and I have to edit that stuff out a whole lot in 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 post show. I, I do too. So don't, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do both, better. We're, um, we're both terrible. Let at me that. think about it. Um, yes. Yes. Um, hmm, uh, hmm, uh, yeah. Um, and I just did it. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Outlining what someone did very easy because it's easier to point out when someone did something wrong than talking about the positives of doing something right, because we kind of expect people to do the right thing, you know? Or we know what wrong looks like. Also, it can feel super empowering to rattle off a big list of problems. Like,
hey, I saw all these things you did wrong. And then here's a big list. Look how smart I am because I saw all of these things. Yeah, that's not good. It, no. it really isn't. And it's not at that point in time, it's not actionable either, because if you're coming to somebody with a long list of things that they've done, you've been accumulating that for a little while, haven't you? Here's one of the other things. If you list a big, long laundry list of things, they stop listening to you after two. Right. They So since they stop listening to you after two, pick the two that you care about. Right. You're not going to be able to fix with your feedback. I don't care how good and wonderful it is. You're. 20 point manifesto is not going to resonate as much as just two comments those other 18 you can get those next time okay unless the judges just got awful all right <laughs> then you can have like a sit down sit down kind of thing but if the goal is to help the other person improve genuinely improve not the what i was just trying to help them improve type argument that you'd get from your teenage kid when you asked them to walk the dog and they were like, well, it was raining. It's like, it's not raining outside, which may also be a fairly recent experience in the Prilliman household. <laughs> the goal is to help them improve. Okay. Then it needs to be conveyed in a way that is, that they can be receptive to and that they can be, uh, that they can digest. Don't flood with issues. Don't nitpick every little thing, because if you nitpick stuff, then the person reading is like, oh, they're just nitpicking everything. I can't do anything. Right. Like, why Why listen to them? Don't hyperbolize or exaggerate, because then that also gives the other person like, oh, they're just making stuff up now. That's not, not close. You know, don't attack. That's going to shut people down. I think sometimes it helps if you stop, stop pause, and ask yourself, is sharing this information actually... Um, going to benefit the person that I'm talking to. Uh, sometimes it's just better to, to to take a pause. One other point I think I want to make with all of this is um, before you just feed somebody the 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 riot act for having the, made the ice cream sandwich. Yeah, having made some terrible mistakes or or even even repeated small mistakes. Understand your relationship to the person first because it does change how you deliver the information. You know, is this person somebody that you've worked with a dozen times and you know really well and you've maybe gone out and had a, a, a lunch break with and a, and a dinner break with and you've spoken about maybe issues even not judge related and, and you feel like you have a rapport? Your delivery is going to be different. Um, if it's somebody that you've only met the one time, it's the first time working underneath of you, they don't know who you are from Adam. They may know you by reputation, but but they don't have any anything to, to go by in terms of... Um, your personal relationship to them. So package it a little differently. You know, hey, I noticed something earlier. Um, I'd like to talk with you about it. Here's the thing. Um, what do you think about this? Create a dialogue through the process. But when it's somebody that you really know, sometimes you can just simply say, hey, Brian, you messed that up a bit. Let's talk about that. You know, it's, it's, your delivery matters and your relationship to the person changes your delivery. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if, and this, this is less on, on the, just like feeding someone negative, a lot of negative comments, but, but a comment from a level three or a very well-known level two to a brand new level one can have a lot more impact or gravitas than you might think. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it, it, it's not quite, 
I don't, I don't want to call it hero worship, but there's a there's a certain amount of um, putting people on pedestals sometimes in the program. Yeah. There's also a when you say something, people are like, oh, I can't believe a level three would say something like that. And you just kind of say like, well, then you need to kind of get over yourself because we absolutely say stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, yep. Awesome. Just don't don't overload people if you are going to give feedback. Giving feedback is a skill uh, more so than receiving feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone's bad at receiving feedback. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. Read the room. If the person is uh, not receiving it well, um, talk to them about changing how you're going to give them feedback. Um, yeah. Defer. Suggest that maybe we talk later. Ask if there's something that, you know, you can do better about how you're delivering your message. You have to you have to understand as the person giving the feedback, the whole point of you doing that is to help them improve. If you all you're doing is making them sad, angry, upset, maybe that will have an effect on them. Sure. And maybe you'll get what you need. Uh, but there may be a better way. Yeah, I, I will say that there are some judges and I think the more experienced judge the more experience that the judges have, the more likely they are to fall into this scenario, which is if you give negative feedback, then you're wrong. I've seen and that. That's an attack. Yeah, I've seen that. And and after a while, people just stop giving those judges feedback at all. Yeah, it, and that's it, more on receiving. So it, it, you're going to develop a reputation about feedback one way or the other. Um, and one of the best ways to develop that is to recognize, as Brian said at the beginning, um, that it's important to give positive feedback too. Uh, if you give positive feedback as often or even more often than you give ne negative feedback, when the negative feedback comes along, the person's going to see it and say, well, you know, he did say something nice or she said something nice about, about such and such. Uh, and then they said something, you know, I did wrong. Okay, I get it. You know, I, I messed up. Moving on. I, um, but if you're negative all the time, people just aren't going to listen to you. I did have one funny experience where uh, this was several years ago, but uh, an L3 gave me a suggestion for the exemplar program. And I responded with a bulleted nine point list of all the problems that that idea would cause. And the response I got back was, well, if you aren't even going to consider my idea, <laughs> you know, I didn't figure you were resistant to feedback. And I was like, I wrote a nine point, like I considered the idea and the consequences of it give you nine bullet points back as to why it, you know, problems that it would cause. Nine. And you're saying I didn't consider your idea. I turned into uh, Yosemite Sam. Yep. Yep. So you, yeah. anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's just me ranting a little bit. Tell me, what's, Mini what's, what's the next topic? I'll get off my soapbox. So, so we've kind of talked about, you know, the S sandwich. We've talked about, uh, <laughs> we've talked about the, the dangers and, and the trials and tribulations of answering questions outside of an event. And we talked about called drafts, which all are all, you know, things where we're talking about emotional, potentially difficult things. And, and here's where we're just going to go ahead and just diverge. Um, I was interested in something that was posted by Judge Academy about, I guess, about a month ago now. Time really slips away. Um, Judge Academy has created a relationship with Magic Kids by Weird Cards. Um, and, and the nature of the relationship is something that may not seem intuitive at first until you dig into it a little bit. Um, Magic Kids is a uh, 
well, weird weird cards first is a charitable club, um, and it's a social club that's. And I'm going to read from the thing. Founded to bring friends and families together through a love of gaming, specifically Magic the Gathering. Each of her events also raises money for nonprofit cause. Okay, so cool, right? Um, but what Magic Kids is is Magic Kids is the arm of Weird Cards that is set out to put Magic the Gathering into um, different organizations, schools, libraries, YMCA. Um, if you have some type of, of youth-led or youth uh, organization that would benefit from the kids learning Magic the Gathering, Magic Kids is the thing. So Judge Academy worked with Magic Kids and they created two different classes, just like we take the classes for uh, Interactions and Continuous Effects or SBAs. Uh, they now have a learning track for learning about Magic Kids and how to incorporate that into your community. So I did a little bit of a dive on it. I took the two videos and I found them really interesting. I thought I'd share about that a little bit. Um, the two videos uh, are each 15 minutes long. They're hosted by L3 Rob McKenzie. Yay, Rob. Hmm. Um, the guests for the two videos are the Magic Kids founder, their education lead, and one of their instructors. Um, and they break it into two very common sense uh, videos. One is about creating the organization that you're going to run um, under the Magic Kids header. And the other is about how to teach people to play. So the first one, which is uh, entitled Location, Staff, and Kids, um, discusses talking about finding that location that will work best for you. Um, it'll cater to the audience as well, I hope. Uh, one nice thing about it is it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of the programming there talks about self-nominating. Uh, essentially, if you have a group that feels that Magic Kids may fit their mission as opposed to Magic Kids defining what the mission is 100%, um, they'd love to hear from you. And they're willing to send you product. product Magic Kids? <laughs> Magic Kids sends the product, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they don't just, they, they don't send, you know, um, uh, commander decks and, and all different, you know, stuff. They send you um, bulk commons and, and uncommons that the kids can interact with and, and create their own decks. Okay. So we're talking, we're talking young kids, yep. right? We're talking all okay. ages. We're talking, you know, high school too. There's no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, okay. I mean, when you said, when you said like commons and uncommons, I just had this, you know, the idea of like the young kids getting excited over like the crawl worm or the, you know, the sea serpent or something like that. Whereas like a 17 year old might be like, uh, another, you know, well, what you're thinking mall. about there when you're thinking about that is you're thinking about probably a kid that's maybe already played magic or has already seen their friends play magic. Um, that's fair. That's maybe, fair. maybe this is somebody brand new to magic. And the first time they see that, that card, they're like, Oh cool. It does what? So it, they, uh, they send materials to new clubs. Uh, they'll also send, uh, everything from, uh, boxes and sleeves. Uh, they sent some play mats, they sent some dice, pens, pads. They sent all the supplies necessary to start teaching a, a group of new players how to play Magic. And then they have a second video. And the second video, I, I don't want to get into it too, too much because I want, I want people to go and watch these themselves. But the second video gets into learn to play. And it takes an approach that we've all seen before for the most part. But what they do is they, they build it in, they build this also into a triage of things instead of the the location staff and kids in this case they're talking about sort build and play 
because what they do is they send you these boxes of bulk and you sit there and you tell the kids, hey, you know, take take out all the green cards and put creatures in one pile and put all these other things in the other pile. So they sort and they spend some time doing that. And that leads them to the next step because they're able to look at the cards of building a deck. And then they have them build a deck of, of 10 creatures for the very first deck and 10 lands. And they can pick different creatures and they're encouraged to pick different creatures. You know, not all, uh, I'm trying to think of some common random card. Uh, okay. Not not all one common random card. Okay. Build a deck with 10 different creatures, 10 lands, and then play somebody else. Um, and then they, they reiterate over that. Uh, they'll The next session, they'll add in some instants or sorceries. Um, the next session after that, they'll add artifacts. Each session, they, they build on the, the knowledge of the previous session and try and give the kids more confidence of play. Overall, the, the sessions, the, the two videos, are very straightforward. If you've ever taught anybody how to play Magic, you're going to see a lot of things in there that, that you're familiar with. Um, it's not going to be a lot of super new territory. But the idea here is, is that it's introducing this whole organization that is at our disposal that we can be using at game stores where we can be using to help do outreach to the community. And I think it's I think it's pretty great. I think more judges should be should be interested in pursuing it. Should look into it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for the folks that have found a way to turn magic into outreach, you know, to getting clubs and stuff like that, helping getting getting kids involved or or you know, chari- charities and stuff like that. Like you know, it's 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 one thing to say like, oh well, somebody should do so and so and such and such. But then when someone actually does it, that that always is at least mildly impressive. You know, there's there's different tiers of impressiveness, but it's it's always it's always like, yeah, that's a that's a good person. So I used to do scouts for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a little while. I, I did it for over twenty years. Um, but, okay. but one of the things, brag. one of the things that I did was I became a, a merit badge counselor for game design. Um, and I would use magic, uh, as part of the curriculum because it was just so easy. Um, is that a merit badge now? It is. Game, des- game design is a merit badge. They introduced it. Oh. I want to say 20, um, I'm going to show my age somewhere between 2013 and 2015, maybe somewhere in there. Is talking about something seven years ago showing your age now? I don't know. I feel like it because I, I well, no, I, <clears throat> I am now fifty years old. Oh, the big five oh. The big five oh. I, I, I turned the, turned the, uh, the, the, the next revolution of the sun yesterday. So, um, oh, yeah. So I don't nice. know. Maybe I'm just feeling weirdly retrospective <laughs> in all of my what? thinking. It's it's all it's we're on the downhill. I'm slope. on the downhill slope, you know. Just... <laughs> the reaper's just hovering over your shoulder now. Oh my god! Oh god, that makes me feel better. I feel like a spry young spring chicken. Well, you are, or you are, even yeah. though you are mossy, a little mossy. Yes, a little, a little mossy, a little mossy. Yeah, no. Um, but we used to do this in in scouts, and I think it's great that they're finding new ways to reach out to community organizations. Uh, you've seen people like Mike Wildspeaker on Twitter talking about his game club and, and others that, that have their own game clubs at, at high schools and seeing them do more significant outreach is just, I think it's great. I, and, and I would encourage um, anyone that's interested to look into it. 
that's it. That's all I got. I think that's everything today. So that must mean because I'm I'm seeing pre-releases coming across uh, um, preview cards coming across my uh, Twitter feed that it's yeah something's on the horizon. Uh, yes, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so that is going to be the next episode. Yes. Yeah. I'm we're, excited we're for it. Fifty percent of the episode is just going to be talking about all the Gandalf variants. And I'm excited for it. <laughs> I really am. It's going to be fun. I I don't like the way the hobbits look. They look okay. like okay. they look fuzzy. Okay, but did you see the blue Gandalf that dropped today? Uh, isn't there more than one? I, I guess there's there's the, the blue card that dropped today is the old art for the old uh, television show. You mean from the seventies? Yeah, I'll have to find it for you. It's brilliant looking. What? It's it's so gorgeous. It's like movie poster type Gandalf with the big old sword standing over top of the hobbits. It's 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 gorgeous, utterly gorgeous. Yeah, I I gotta figure out where I saw that art from and and share it with you. I'll I'll, I'll send that over to you a little bit later. It's I, great. It's great. I do not like the fact that Saruman the White is a blue card though. That I have problems with. Just because uh, yeah. Saruman the White. Ah. I anyway. get it. Anyway. Yep. All right. So that's our show, right? Yeah. So everybody, that's our episode. Join us next time as we talk about, as you've already heard, the Lord of the Rings pre-release. We're looking forward to that one. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Until then, I'm Charles Feather and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prilliman and I pick up the pack. Remove the wrapper and token and basic land, and count the cards face down. Verify you have 14 cards. If you do not have 14 cards, call a judge. Pick up the pack. You have 40 seconds. I can cut all this out. Yeah, we'll have to.